We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34 this morning. I read about a kindergarten teacher who uh, told her class that she wanted her class to draw a picture of uh, something that was really important to them. And so um, the kids in her class began to draw pictures of the things that were most important to them. And about 10 minutes later, uh, most of the kids had handed in their pictures to their, to their teacher. But uh, there was a student in the back named Jonathan who was still working, very focused on finishing his picture. Um, the teacher gradually walked back to Jonathan's workspace, and she gently put uh, her hand on his shoulder, and, and he, he, she asked, Jonathan, what are you drawing? But he wouldn't look up. He just continued his focus and working really hard. And then he said, God... And she said, Jonathan, no one has ever seen God. And Jonathan responded, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> it was John the gospel writer who said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God. We saw that last week. Now, you and I didn't get to see, see Jesus in the first century face to face, but John did. And John has a purpose to display to us who Jesus is and what he has done. We've already examined the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which is sometimes called the prologue. And in that section, John introduces the major themes of the whole book. Uh, he purposely does that. Uh, and um, today we're going to begin the story. The prologue is done. Now we begin the story that John wants to present. And we meet uh, and we begin with one of the first major characters. And I'm just going to read uh, verses 19 through uh, 28 uh, as we get started this morning. And you can follow along. It is not going to be on the screen um, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. Now, just, just going to say it as we start. This is not John the gospel writer. This is John the Baptist. Might be confusing, but it's important that we're clear on this. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? As if they were playing a guessing game. He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. 
So let's jump in and uh, let's begin right with the, what the situation is in chapter 1 and verse 19. Now, so this was John's testimony, John the Baptist. John the gospel writer was one of the 12 disciples. He's called the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is John the Baptist. John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So the priests and the Levites are, are men who work at the temple and serve the temple and lead in worship. Levites are like supporters and can be temple police, but the priests are the actual ones who work in the area of worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and so they come and they, they ask him who he was. Now they are inquiring because they really want to know. They're inquiring. They're sent as a delegation really to interrogate John. They come because they think John is a false teacher and they want to make clear him out of the way if that's the case. Uh, they're just looking for evidence and then um, they can see that he gets removed because he's really creating quite, quite a stir. Uh, he has become very popular uh, and the religious leaders uh, sense the competition. And so people are going out uh, in, into the wilderness, into the desert. They're going outside of Jerusalem and they're going out to hear somebody that's speaking for God and and God is just drawing people out people are so curious to hear is God really speaking is God really at work so um, by way of background now I'm going to take you to another passage I'm just going to ask you to listen this is background to what's happening right now it's in Matthew chapter 3 in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So wilderness in Judea is just outside of Jerusalem, but this is going to be beyond the, on the east side of the Jordan River and just be patient. I'll probably have a map. The message is to repent, to turn to God, to turn your heart away from sinful behavior if you need to, and turn your heart toward God and humbling yourself before him. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why is that? Because the king is near. The promised one whom God had promised in many different passages in the Old Testament is, has come. He is near. He is going to be on the scene very shortly. And then in verse 3, this is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. This John was the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's role as a highway builder, as a road builder, not a physical road builder, but he was to open a path spiritually so people would be ready when Jesus showed up. That's why 
Jesus became popular so quickly is because of the work that John had done. Uh, John announced the coming of Jesus. And, but he wanted people to be ready and have their hearts ready and to repent. John's clothes, and he, had, he, was, he was an unusual dresser. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Unusual, very simple diet. And people went out to hear, hear him from Jerusalem and from all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So John goes outside of the religious establishment. That's centered in Jerusalem where the temple is, where the high priest is, where the Sanhedrin are, where the clergy of Israel reside and make very important decisions. John's just going to circumvent that, going to go out into the wilderness, and he's just going to go out there and sort of wait, and people start coming to him in the droves, in droves. All right. That's just some background. Now we come uh, to verses 20 and 22. And I have three principles to look at from this passage. And the first one is to know who you're not. We need to know who we're not. John knows who he is and John knows who he is not. Question for us is, do we know who we are? Do we know who we are not? In verse 20, we have the pronouncement from John. He did not fail to confess, uh, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. So from the beginning, John wants to make it clear. He knows he is not the Messiah. And that's a good thing. But he's, he's, he's a rock star in the first century. He is like a celebrity in a very short time because everybody wants to talk about John go out and hear John, and come back and talk about John. And he has the nation's attention. Um, my guess would be that thousands went out to hear him over, over a period of months. He says, I am not the Messiah. And just for clarity, um, the word Messiah means anointed one, and it has a Hebrew background. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew originally, and the word is Mashiach, and that's where we get the word Messiah, the anointed one. In the New Testament, the word for anointed one is Christos, or Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not his last name. But he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. It's a title. Uh, he's the king, the promised king who would rule. And now we come with questions in verses 21 and 22. Uh, they ask him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, why would, we, why would they do that? Why would they ask if he is Elijah? Uh, they, uh, Elijah. Now, they're not taking John seriously. They just want to know who does he think he is? What, is, what does he think his credentials are? And uh, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, uh, this is what the leaders understood uh, in the first century. Now, Malachi writes about 350 B.C., you know, close to 400 years before Jesus, before John the Baptist is on the scene. 
And the, the prophet writes, I will see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you, to the nation Israel, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, the day of the Lord being time yet future, a time when God will bring judgment on the earth. And uh, before that happens, God is going to send um, this prophet Elijah. Okay, now, so God's people are waiting for Elijah to come. Elijah in 2 Kings was removed by God from the earth without death. He left in a chariot. Uh, it was one of those supernatural times when God removed Elijah. And so Jewish people in the first century were expecting Elijah to come back in person. He was not dead. He was coming back in person. So there is a, that's why they want to check out this passage. John, who do you think you are? Now, we're going to, you know, you may ask, why do we spend so much time on John the Baptist? That's a really good question because the Bible does, because he's kind of important, because he was prophesied in the Old Testament. He was going to have a very key role in the life of Jesus. And uh, so we come to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. If you know uh, the gospel of Luke, before the birth of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, there is an announcement by Gabriel that there would be a baby born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and his name was to be John. And he was going to go before the Lord and prepare the way for the Lord. And so this was a marker. This is a sign to God's people that this prophet is coming and he's going to speak for God and he's born in Luke chapter 1. And uh, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. That's Malachi chapter 4. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is John. And so they really ask him a good question. John, are you Elijah? And he says no. Because he doesn't want them to think he's the Elijah that they think that he's, that, that he's actually Elijah. He is not Elijah. And Jesus is going to identify him as Elijah in Matthew chapter 11. But not Elijah. It's the one who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah like Elijah was. And... Um, and then they ask, um, well, John, John says, I'm not. Well, John, are you the prophet? And John says, no. He knows who he's not. He is a prophet. He is a prophet of God. He's a big deal. But he is not the prophet. He's a prophet. He is not the prophet. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18 is the passage they refer back to. And so here's a prophecy to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses writes in the 15th century before Christ, a thousand years before the, the prophecy that Malachi gave. And this is about the prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for you, Moses, a prophet like me, Excuse me, the Lord your God will raise up, he's speaking to the people of Israel, will raise up for you, Israel, a prophet like me, like Moses, 
from among you. So he's going to be a Jewish man from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Okay, this is important. Um, let's go back, verse 15. He's going to raise up for, okay, now jump to 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like Moses. What kind of prophet was Moses? Moses was a spokesman for, for God. Moses is the one who led God's people out of bondage in Egypt. Moses led people away from uh, the power of the Pharaoh, an evil ruler who had them in bondage. Moses gave them the law of God, the 613 commands. Moses gave them the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant. Moses was the deliverer. He was a savior. He was a spokesman for God, a prophet. So this is going to be the one that's coming now is a big dog prophet. He's going to be like Moses, big dog, not just a prophet. And he's going to deliver God's people. And he's going to take them out of the bondage of sin. And he's going to take them away from the power of Satan who has had rule over them. He is going to be their savior. He's going to be their deliverer. He's going to be their leader. Moses was a great leader. He's going to be a spokesman for God, but not like any other. Is John the prophet? No. Question for us, who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are not? I loved how Margaret talked about some of the things she learned about her identity in Christ. When, when she placed her faith in Christ, even as a small child, these things were true, but it almost took a lifetime for her to realize how important they were and how God viewed her. And so, um, question, are you a child of God? Do you know that? Um, are you born again? Are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a forgiven person? Does the Holy Spirit live in, do you, live in you? Do you know if you have eternal life? What difference does that make? Are you an ambassador for Christ? If you're a child of God, how does that affect the way you live? How does a, someone related to God live? Is there a family resemblance in our lifestyle? How would a citizen of heaven live? How could people tell if you belong to God's family? So here's a question that I think gets to the point of this. Do you see yourself primarily as a sinner or a saint? Do you see yourself primarily as a sinner or are you primarily a saint? Really a good question. Um, how you approach this is crucial. The question is, what does the Bible say about you? What do you say about yourself? The Bible, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible does not call you a sinner. You are redeemed from the power of sin. 
You've been crucified with Christ. Um, you are a child of God. Your sins are, you are a forgiven sinner. Now, you might sin. You might still have to deal with sin. I do. But who are you? If you think you, you're not what God says, you're just going to live that way. But if you begin to see yourself the way God views you, it's going to change how you take on every day. Your identity. Who are you? Who you're not. Um, are you a sinner or a saint? A saint is the word used for Christians in the first century. It's not a, a special person that gets elected to be put on a shelf. It's a believer in Jesus. Somebody who has placed their faith in Christ and they have become a child of God. Their sins are forgiven. They're a saint. What does saint mean? It means to be, a set, it means to be set apart for God. It means to be set apart to God. So my purpose now is for God as a saint. And God has cleansed me so that I am now able to serve him. That's what it means to be a saint. So know who you're not. In verse 23, know who you are. In keeping with that, we see in verse 23 what John has to say. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John knows who he is. He knows his role. He knows who he is not. He is not to afraid to align himself with what God said about him. I am a voice. Now, that would have taken a lot of courage to say, I'm the one who's fulfilling prophecy. John just says, I'm a voice. Um, he has been given a crucial role in the plan of God. He understands. He is God's spokesman. He is an instrument in God's hands. He, and he surrenders himself to God's leadership in this. Where God leads, he goes. If it's out into the desert where there are no people and he's supposed to preach, he is going to go out and preach. And God brought the people. You know, no loudspeakers, no sound system, no big bands to back him up. There were no restrooms, just the desert and John and a few of his followers. He knows he is not the Messiah. He knows he is not the prophet. He's a voice, a tool, an instrument in God's hand. He knows that his role is like that of an emissary in the, in the ancient world of a great, an emissary of a great king. His job is to go ahead of the king. And they actually had emissaries go ahead of kings into the cities and areas where they were traveling and clear the road, move the rocks, move the trees that had fallen to make the road, to, to make the road clear, a pathway. And that's John's role. He's a road builder. But it's not the physical road he's building. It, he's, he's building a spiritual road where spiritual obstacles get removed in the hearts of people.
John knows who he is. Do you know who you are? Um, do you know that you are a, a child of God? Do you know what your role is in this world? Are you a voice for God? Not the same one that John had. Can you speak for God? Can you tell people what you know about God? Your life, your experience, what you know about what Scripture says, can you tell other people those things? That's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. In verses 24 through 34, know who you serve. This is the third principle. This is, was a huge strength for John. He knew who he was serving. The question comes in verses 24 through 28. In verse 24, um, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention earlier, but it was the Levites and, and the priests. This is a different group. These are religious leaders from Jerusalem. Le Levites and um, uh, priests focused on worship at the temple, serving that uh, part of, of, uh, of the nation. The Pharisees were teachers of the law. They were experts in the law. They were, they were lawyers. They, were, uh, they, they made rules and decisions. Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. So they're not taking John seriously. They're, they're, they're trying to find out the flaws in his thinking. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John, it doesn't make sense to us that you would be out here baptizing. Who are you? By the way, John is the son of a priest, and they know that. John's dad, Zechariah, was a priest, if you remember, in Luke chapter 1. John, it just doesn't make sense for you to be out here doing this. But one of the reasons is, is because in the first century, people who got baptized were not Jewish people. They were Gentile people's people. They were the ones who needed God. And so they could become a Jewish proselyte if they underwent teaching. And then if they had repented, they would under, undergo a ceremonial cleansing or a baptism by water, which was a sign that their life had been cleansed by God. It's a sign that they had repented. It was for Gentiles, not for Jewish people. John, what are you doing out here? It doesn't make sense to us. You don't baptize Jewish people. They don't need it. That's the point that the Pharisees are bringing John. In verse 26, John says, I baptized with water, but among you stands one you do not know. So John says, yes, I've been baptizing. Yes, I baptized with water, but there's something different coming. And um, he's from among you. He's going to be a Jewish man. But you don't know him. You don't know who he is. You are not connected to God in a spiritual way. Um, and then he says in verse 27, he is the one who comes after me. Um, John says he, he's going to come after um, John in time. 
He's going to come after John in time because he's actually six months younger than John. In Luke chapter 1, John is born first, about six months. He's Elizabeth's child, six months older. And then Mary has a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. So chronologically, John comes first. Jesus comes next. But Jesus actually comes before John in preeminence because he was pre-existence, pre-existence. He was there in the beginning. He was there at the creation of God. He was with the Father, and he was God. He is the one who created. And then, so John says, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John has an idea how great the Messiah is. And he acknowledges this greatness. He says, I'm not, I'm not worthy to take off his sandals. Now, in the first century, sandals were to be removed by servants, a household slave. Even disciples didn't have to take off the sandals of their master. That was below them. And John says, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And then John, the gospel writer, just tells us in verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where Jesus, John was baptizing. So this, he tells us where it takes place. And of course, there's going to be a map. I know it's hard to see. Next week, the maps are going to be bigger, okay? Um, so this is uh, the land of Israel. We always put Jerusalem in there because that's the most important city, and that's where the temple is, and you need to be able to find that. You ought to, as you study the Bible, you just learn from the maps because there are locations, and it gives you an idea of where, where things are. And then Nazareth is, is north or up from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was raised. And you can see that there are two bodies of water. Well, there's the Mediterranean Sea that's on the left side. And then you see there's a little black, dark spot up there called the Sea of Galilee. That's Jesus' ministry primarily was around there. And then down below, you see the Dead Sea. Now, between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, there's a little line there that you can't really see from where you're sitting, and it's the Jordan River. And John... There are two Bethanies I mentioned that. Didn't I mention that, two Bethanies? There are two Bethanies in the, in the New Testament. Uh, so you can see where Jerusalem is, and you can see there's another marker right next to Jerusalem. That's Bethany. Bethany, next to Jerusalem, is where Mary and Margaret are from, and Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead there. But this is not what John is referring to here. He's referring to Bethany beyond the Jordan. In the first century, there were two Bethanies. And so if you go to, to the right, just a little ways and just a little bit north, you see Bethany beyond the Jordan. And we don't know exactly if that's where the location is. Scholars aren't sure. Some think it's there. And some think it's on the, the east side. It has to be on the east side of the Jordan, beyond the Jordan, or it's up further north, closer 
to uh, the Sea of Galilee, but it would be on the east side of Jordan. And it doesn't really make a lot of difference that we have the exact location. But that's an idea. Um, it's away from cities. It's away from people. Um, in verses 29 through 34, uh, we have the testimony. We have John's testimony. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the day that um, Jesus baptized, was baptized by John. When John saw him, he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. He did not know that. Jesus was John's cousin. We don't know how well they knew each other growing up. They didn't necessarily need to know each other well because they lived in different parts of the country. Families probably saw each other on special religious festival days, maybe on a trip to Jerusalem to a, to a great feast that they would meet and get to see each other. So they weren't like closest relatives. John knew that Jesus was his cousin. He had no clue that Jesus was the Messiah. And... Um, He's, and, 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 and John has a prophecy here. It's very prophetic. He says, uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's not normal. And he's saying the Messiah is the Lamb of God. There have been many lambs in the Old Testament for God, and they had sacrificed to God, and their blood was shed in an act of worship to honor God. And then there was the celebration of the Passover, and uh, the Passover was uh, when, uh, it was a celebration of um, God passing over Egypt when Moses was, was the great prophet, and God passed over Egypt. And so every household uh, on the night of Passover was to uh, kill a lamb and uh, eat part of it at the mealtime, and we were taking, they were to take blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorposts of where they lived so that that night when the angel of death passed over Egypt, wherever there was blood, their lives were spared. And where there was not blood, the, the um, oldest son was taken in death. And Jesus will be the Lamb. And God will pass over when people place their faith in, in Christ because the penalty of sin is paid by the blood of the Lamb. God passes over them in judgment. And we have life and we have forgiveness and pardon before God. He says, um, and so that he takes away the sin of the world, not just the nation for one year, but the sin of the world. Verse 30, John says, this is what I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
And he, John explains his earlier comments in verse 15. The man who comes after him in time, his cousin, uh, was before him in time because he was preexistent. And he is much greater. He is the Lamb of God. That's a term that's used in Revelation chapter 21 of Jesus sitting on his throne. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, John says, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John understood he had a role to be a voice to announce and prepare the way for God and so people's hearts would be ready. He called them to repentance and he just was open. He said, look, if you're extorting people, you make it right. You pay them back. You know, whatever your sin is, if you're stealing from your employer, you make it right. You repent and then get baptized. And people came out in droves in response to his message in repentance. So John came baptizing with water, but when Jesus came, he understood that part of his role as a voice and the one who prepares the way was to identify and reveal to the nation Israel who the Messiah was, who will be the Christ. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So John is an eyewitness and he's saying, this is what I saw. And this is when I knew. This was a sign that God gave John ahead of time so that he would know when this happens, he is the one. This is the one people need to know. And so John is saying, it, it is so. He says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. My baptism is just a symbol of repentance. His baptism will cleanse people from their sins. And we know about the baptism that comes from Jesus that connects us with God and unites us with the body of Christ and immerses us um, into the body of Christ. So John clearly identifies that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this one is God's chosen one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. He would be the one who would save people from their sin. He is the great king. He is the prophet and the priest and the king. These were important roles in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the office of prophet, the prophet, the great high priest, and the king, the Messiah, the Christ, the king of kings and Lord of lords. Yet John was a humble man. John is a great example for us. Um, he was an eyewitness to God's work. He, he uh, submitted himself to the Lord to be a part of what God was doing. 
He knew who he was, and he knew who, who he was not. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are not? Do you know what your role is? Um, sometimes I think we just need to be reminded that we're not God. I, 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 I think about that from time. I just remind myself, I'm not the master. I'm the servant. Sometimes it's just good to start the day that way. Um, sometimes we just move away from letting God lead our lives and we just take over and we run the show and we like to call the shots and we like to control other people sometimes. Um, we like to control our circumstances. You and I are not God. We just need to be reminded of that. We need to be more like John. We need to be a humble voice to tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You are an eyewitness to what God has done for you. Nobody else is an eyewitness to that like you. I love the quote about Rick Horn's life. I think you have it in your program. And he writes, this is from his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment. I think American Christianity forgets that sometimes. It's like, I want to be blessed by God and be happy, as if that's the most important thing. Um, it's far greater than your personal fulfillment, your own peace of mind, even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, even your wildest dreams or ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Did you know that? Colossians 1.16 says, you were made for God. How are we going to know what's important apart from that? How can we align our lives if it's not for God? Because I don't think you and I are going to have a great deal of success figuring out things on our own. Let's stand for prayer this morning. Father, we uh, just uh, thank you for um, the man named John that was called the Baptist. And there's a lot of things we don't know about him, and maybe someday we'll meet him in heaven. But we know that he was a man who walked with you. And the, he understood uh, his role. He understood who you were. And he really wanted to honor you and to honor his Messiah. God calls us to be mindful of who we are and who we're not. We're not God. We're not the master. We're not the ruler of this life. We're not even to be the rulers of our own lives. You have called us to, to serve you. You have redeemed us with a price. 
You have empowered us with your spirit. You have given us a new position. You have set us on an eternal course that's good. That is the best of all worlds. God, help us to be faithful people and humble people. Help us to be willing to be a voice. To speak for you. To live for you. To serve you. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen.